Amen. Yeah, thank you guys for leading us in worship. Yeah, thank you. Great to be in God's house with you. It's amazing. God's so good to us. So good to us. We're blessed to have the church open, be able to assemble together. There's still churches that are not meeting together, and we're glad that you have taken the opportunity to come. Again, we welcome you, and we want you to know that you're welcome to wear a mask and don't touch anybody, and we have the sanitation stuff back there, uh, but you're welcome not to have to wear a mask in here as well. Um, We're legally not bound to do any of those things, but it's up to you what you do. Just so you understand that, as a church, we have a right according to the First Amendment, which how many of you ever literally read the First Amendment of our Constitution? Let me see your hands. Good job. There's probably about a third of us. So you should take a moment to read that. It's pretty good. Our founding fathers knew what they were doing. They did. We should probably listen to a little more of what they had to say, no matter how they lived their lives, no matter who they thought they were in culture or how we perceive them today. I believe that God ordained what they wrote for the furtherance of a people and a nation to form a place where people could freely worship him. I do believe that. God's involved. If you read uh, Romans 13, you see that he does appoint leaders in countries and places, and he also brings them down. God does. So as we prepare ourselves for the coming election, I pray that you are praying about who to vote for and not just simply buying into a party. One amen. Amen. Thank you. We are not owned by any political party. We are owned by our God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, as we pray for God's direction in the coming election, no one should be looking at propaganda from things. We should be looking to the one who knows all things, who gives us wisdom. And we do not vote for a party. We vote for an individual and we vote for biblical principles. That's not telling you how to vote, you understand. That's not Dave telling you. Looking at God's word and how we do what he asks us to do. Because we will be accountable for what we do. We will. God cares. And he cares about me and you and the decisions that we make and how we live our life. I want you to know that we are blessed to be his people. So blessed. And so blessed to be here in the United States where we can freely gather to worship. In my life, I'm, uh, I turned 58 last Sunday, by the way. We celebrated the blessing. That wasn't a thing to introduce my birthday. I just want to say thank you to a couple of things, but there's a reason I bring that up is because in my lifetime, what I've seen in our nation has been a lot. But you know that the only war that's ever been fought on our turf is the civil war between ourselves. It's crazy when you think about that, you know. I mean, the freedom one in the beginning, of course, when we fought for our freedom against the British to be a free nation. But I'm talking about a, a war that came against our nation has only been an internal war. Just think that through a little bit. Okay. Then we were attacked on 9-11. On our turf, we were attacked, right? So we've been living in this little plastic bubble for so long as a nation that we have this, even in the church, this perception of protection and... and um, Nothing can touch us and things. And I just want you to know that that's not true. That's not biblical. And we as the church should be praying regularly for the protection of our nation. God tells us to for his protection over us. And uh, these attacks that come against us, they're not over with. This is not a prophetic statement, just a reality. We will be having further attacks upon our nation. And there will be internal turmoil until we either repent and come to God or we as a nation crumble and fall. Just look at history, right? So until we unify under the the saving grace of God as a people, we're in trouble. And if that doesn't happen, the United States will fall. I don't care who's elected as president, we will fall. Because you cannot go against God's ways and still receive his blessing. That's not just as a nation, that's as individuals too. Don't forget that part of it. So here's a, a thing that we've learned, we ought to have learned from this COVID thing that came out of nowhere, so to speak, and kind of like everybody went crazy. And we are not a prepared people for stuff. I, I mean, I think it's funny that the first thing to disappear in the stores was toilet paper. I really do. I still find humor in that. I mean, like, survival 101 is toilet paper. 
Dude, seriously, man. If you don't have food, you don't need it. Okay. Sorry, I'm just, you know, being real with you and just process this. But seriously, I'm looking, I'm like, what in the world? We're nuts. We did this in a backwards situation, right? We're like, uh, anyway, people are crazy. And then we panic. So our first reaction is our fears. And we want to all of a sudden, like, have everything I think I might need. And I don't know how for how long. And that's the other thing. It's like, well, if this was going to go on as a pandemic, like, how long do you think those 20 cases of toilet paper are going to last you anyway? And does it really matter? I mean, toilet paper is a recent invention. I don't know if you look in your history, but they lived without it for many, many centuries. <laughs> All right, enough of that. I'm just trying to help us. So this is the thing I think we as a church and Christians ought to have learned, and as a nation, you probably should have a month's supply of basic stuff in your home. Does anybody think that's probably a good idea? And don't go to the store today and start hoarding stuff. I'm saying you should have a month's supply of basic necessities. Then we're not like immediately panicking about stuff because the attacks against our nation haven't stopped and it's coming again. Just... That's Again, I'm telling you, this is not a prophetic word. This is a common sense word that says, huh, did we learn anything? Probably should do this. Just thinking that the election's next month, believe it, just a few weeks away, it's crazy. Thank God, I can't wait for it to be over. (laughs) I'm afraid that election's probably going to last several months, though, even after it's done, for real. Oh, Lord, help us. But this is not all political. I'm trying to help us with something. What better time would there be for something crazy to happen than at the election? Right? So my little common sense brain would tell me I should probably have some things in order to prepare myself and my house for this possibility. And if it's not, then it's coming. It's just a matter of time. So I think we ought to learn stuff as we go in life, right? And we ought to grow. And we ought to be what God tells us to be is Christ-like. And this ties directly back into scripture where God called the children of Israel out of Egypt from the captivity of slavery into a free life, right? He was going to create them to be a nation, his people, so that the world would know they are his people. He said that. He said, through you, all peoples are going to know that I am God. That's pretty cool. All right, so the Hebrew descendants of Abraham... Israel became God's people. He brought them out of slavery, built into them a governmental structure, a religious worship structure, and it was all God's. So people would say, I don't like organized religion. Well, you can talk to God about that because he pretty much organized religion. For real. Pretty amazing. As we looked at it last week, he's very detailed about every aspect of what he expected his people to do for worshiping him. Okay? So now, as these people began their journey to become a free nation, they screwed up over and over and over again. And what they did was, they could not trust God for what he said he would do. Instead, they kept turning to themselves and some false teachers that were running their mouth on the side. And so the people began to believe this instead of God. And as a result, God said, you know what? I'm done with you. You're not getting what I promised you. I'm cutting you off. You know this. God said, you're all dying. This entire generation from the age of 20 and upward will never enter the land. 40 years you'll wander in the wilderness because that's a year for every day you spied out the land and didn't trust me to deliver. You're done. Go on back out there and wander around and die. Crazy, isn't it? Seriously, just think that through. Like, you already know your life expectancy right now. I'm not living past 40 more years, no matter how, you know, if they were 20 years old. I'm dying at 60. Doesn't matter what life expectancy is, you're done. So they all die. In that 40 years of time, the younger generation, 19 and under, and those being born, 
are stepping into an understanding of what it means to worship God. There's the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the priests, the ministers, and they're moving around and being called to serve God to do everything he's asking them to do. So they get raised up in this new way of living. God's people, God's way, full obedience. This is what they are learning And so as they watch everybody die out, their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, they're dead. Now it's time. Forty years is done. Moses calls the people to this last assembly before the new adventure. And what does he do? He restates the law to them. That's the book of Deuteronomy. That's what it means, the second giving of the law. So after you've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, that whole Exodus process in the, the book of Exodus beginning forward, the law of God and all those things, Moses reminds the new generation, look, this is the deal. You should know this because that's why those guys are all dead. They didn't do what he said. You better. Here's your reminder. This is what I got to say to you. Okay. So, let's look at God's word again and see what he said to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read this little section of scripture here. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses telling them. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord God as long as you live. Here's a big thing right here. If. You see that? If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. That's pretty important to God. Obedience is critical in your relationship with God. Then all will go well with you. And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Church, he's saying, man, you better get God's Word in front of your face. It better be part of your conversations. It should be when you wake up, when you go to bed. God's Word should be in your life. Every breath you take. The thing I love about this, he's like, look, I know how you are. God's speaking through Moses and he's telling the people, you actually need to have reminders, right? Put them on your hands, put them on your forehead, put them on your house, put them on the door and on the gate, make it available and make it visual so that you are reminded God demands obedience. Huh? So it's pretty clear to me But God said to his people that my word needs to be incorporated in every aspect of your life. In your home, at your job, on your vacations. That's what he said, right? It's right there in the word of God when when you're home and when you're away. Okay, so he's telling them, don't just talk about it. Don't just show up at the tabernacle. I expect obedience in your life. Now, we looked at some symbols last week, right? We, if you didn't, you can always watch our services online. But here's a challenge from God's word to keep God's word in conversation. So he says to wear them on your, on your wrists, your forehead, right? So I'm just thinking like jewelry is a good idea. All right. So I'm, I'm just telling you like, here's the idea. I'm not telling everybody should only wear Christian jewelry, but he's saying, put it on. So there's a reminder It's not like, yeah, I want to make sure I all match everything. Not that you shouldn't. But he's saying, like, is this a good reminder for you? Does that work for you? 
Does that, when you look at it, like we gave away headbands, which you can buy for five bucks in the cafe, by the way, this is a little commercial, uh, for the full <laughs> throttle, right? So it's got the little full throttle emblem right there. Yeah, there you go. See, Pete's wearing it. So it's like, it's to tell everybody else too. You belong to something. Kind of like my wedding ring. On my left hand says, I belong to someone, to everybody in the world. Right? So what we're doing is God's saying, you need to know that you belong to someone and you need to remind yourself that you belong to someone. Right? Okay. So then I think about, he says, on your doorpost, your gates, your house. So what about your art? What's like, whatever, decorations, whatever you want to call it, the stuff that's in your home. What in your home reminds you that you are God's child and that he demands you to live for him in full obedience? Now, I don't expect you to go redecorate your house or anything unless God tells you to. I'm, I better not even say that because some of these are really like, hey, God told me to redecorate, honey. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there should be some reminders that you belong to God. And it should tell other people when they enter your home, there's something different about this house. This is God's word, right? So take a visual today. Look in the mirror. What about you says, I belong to God? What in your home says, we belong to God? This is God's house. All right, so let's just move on. So I use reminders in my phone. I use reminders, which just went off here on my iPad. I have reminders. I used to use sticky notes. Thank God for the phones and all the stuff that's there because I used to have sticky notes everywhere to remind me of stuff because I get busy, clouded, and just moving along and stuff gets lost and forgotten. Emails get buried, texts get buried. And I'm like, man, if I don't like hear it, I tell every one of you, especially on Sundays when you come and tell me something like, man, if you don't text me, just got to tell you, I've, this conversation is lost. <laughs> so after church, you should text me or email me a reminder because that's the only way that I will ever remember we had a conversation. There's stuff going on here, right? Okay, so life happens. And all the things that are happening in life, we respond to, and as we do, we can get thrown off what we intended to do, and then we begin to function in how we always do. Therefore, we're not changing. And God desires us to change. And so, Dave has to have reminders to remind him to change, to do what God's asked me to do, to be who he's asked me to be. All right? Now, the Holy Spirit changes us. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is the power of God that actually changes us. But Dave has to engage in the Holy Spirit's action or I won't change. God doesn't like force a change upon me. He invites me to embrace him so that I might be changed. That's why I need a reminder. Because if I'm not reminded that I need God regularly, Dave will get going and he'll start doing it. And he'll do it for God, but he'll do it in his own strength, his own ideas, his own mind, and it never works. And I'm talking about all of us here. I'm just using me as an example. See, it's hard to change routines and behaviors. Therefore, we must have constant reminders of what God's expectations of my life are. And the expectation God has is obedience. If, if you would just write down one thing or remember one thing from this message, God demands obedience. Now I'm going to take another 20 minutes to talk about it, but just remember that one thing, okay? All right. So... What I've learned in my walk with God, there's three things that God asks me to do. Surrender to Him. Trust Him in the surrender. And then obey Him by taking action on what He's asking me to do. So these three aspects are always full of my life, been part of my life before I even realized it was happening. God finally, like I should say, God, I finally understood what was happening as I developed this pattern in my life of surrender, trust, and obedience. It's ongoing and it never ends. So it's, it's completely normal for us to sincerely intend to change something. Have you ever done that? Like, I'm, I'm going to change this. I'm going to do this. Actually, I've had a lot of people that, that come to an altar and they like, I ask God for this. I ask him to change me and, I, and nothing changes. And I'm back here praying about the same thing over and over again. 
A lot of people do that. And like, I, I just, seems like this is like unbeatable. And then we get discouraged and we don't, and we lose our faith and we stay in that brokenness. Here's the thing. See, when God says, come to me and I will, he's inviting us. You remember that little if in there? That's why we highlighted that. God said, if you do things my way, I will. So the act of obedience is the surrender of myself to trusting him and then acting upon that, actually living what he's telling me to live. So knowing who I am and what I need, obviously God knows us and in his word he's telling them, put them on your wrist, put it on your forehead, put it on your doorpost, put it on your gates, make it a part of your conversations every day because as soon as you stop talking about it, seeing it, reading it, making it part of your life, you're going back to your old ways. That's what happens. Because we are so programmed and routined and sin has owned us for so long that when we don't face God's word and apply it in my life, I'll revert back to my old ways. So, at the end of a service, we say, hey, here's some action steps. The purpose of the action steps is so that I've heard God's word. What is God saying to me in this? How am I going to apply this in my life? So, we're taking God's word to make applications so that I can live differently. I know this for sure. I mean, I'm not, this is not a condemning word to anybody, but, you know, we're, the first thought after church is where am I eating and what am I having? <laughs> it's normal. All right, and then what's happening later today and what's happening tomorrow? Before you know it, you're back into your routine doing your things and you don't even remember what you asked God for or what God challenged you with. And we're functioning like we always did and then we come back to church the next week and we're like, oh, yeah. Sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Help us to start today. And, and if, if God would just let us hear the prayers of the church, thank God he doesn't. But I'm saying most of us probably start the worship service with, oh, I screwed up another week. Sorry, God. I love you. Let's sing, you know. So we've got to do something about changing the ways that we are and how we live this life. Let's go into the New Testament. Scriptures we read all the time. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's something very similar to what Moses said to God's people and what Jesus said to God's people. Now, what he called us to do is know what he said and live it. But there's something really significant here that Jesus said that wasn't in the law. Two things. Jesus said, I have all authority now. I will be with you. Man, those are awesome. (laughs) So we're not just called to obey and live this way on our own. We couldn't. That's what the law proved. God told them to live a certain standard. They couldn't live that standard. Neither can me and you on our own. Jesus made all the difference in the world. And that's why he said, now I have all authority. I have taken the keys of sin and death away from the enemy. I am the victorious king. Now you have power and authority to live this life I'm calling you into. And you're not going to do it alone. I'm with you. Now go do it. Live it. Teach it. Bring them up in the faith. Let them know that God demands a life out of you. That's our call. God demands a life out of us. Obedience. So Jesus clearly states his disciples should teach new disciples obedience to everything he said. Well, as we look at this then, we are glad that it's not saying, and Jesus didn't say, go and fulfill all the law. He said, I did, but we'll get to that in a moment. But let's just see what happened with the early disciples in the early church about this very thing Jesus said. Go and teach these new disciples all things I commanded. Acts chapter 2, we often read there and look there, but listen to what it says here in verse number 42. All the believers, so now the church is growing. It's over 3,000 people now in Jerusalem alone and many more being added all the time. So the church is growing. The resurrection of Jesus is being preached. His crucifixion, resurrection of the Messiah. Church is growing. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember? teach these new disciples all the things I've commanded. So now all the new believers 
are being taught by the disciples the things of Christ and they're living them. So now they're living them and to fellowship, meeting together, being together, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. So what they've been taught was, and if you look at Jesus' life, you know that he was a man of prayer. He was a man of fellowship. He was a man of God. And he lived to be obedient to the Father. Now we look at the New Testament church and it's like, this is amazing that we see the early church following the the uh, methodology that God outlined in the Old Testament that Jesus lived and outlined to his followers. And now his followers are outlining and living with the early church. So this is a lifestyle of faith, not a Sunday morning faith. This is an everyday relationship and knowing God and God knowing me type of a thing. And living in a community of people that understand that we are called to something beyond ourselves. All right. So now what we see then, through Jesus' message and through and into the New Testament church, the early formation of it, that God was moving and his law was being established in their hearts, their lives, and in their conduct. All right. Knowing that we are not required to keep the law, why do we know that? Because Jesus told us. The Word of God tells us. One of the problems that was a, a constant fight within the early church was people trying to make Christians live the Old Testament law. Most of, of Paul's epistles written to the churches deal with that issue. It comes up at some point where they're saying, Jesus and, Jesus and. It's not Jesus and anything, it's just Jesus. Okay? Obedience to him and what he says. So now let's look at what he tells us right here. Now, if we look at this, Jesus made it very simple for us to understand, which I'm very grateful. Listen to Matthew 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. We just read that back there in Deuteronomy, right? But this isn't the end of it. Listen, he says, this is the most important. It's all about God, Him first. But He doesn't stop there. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based in these two commandments. Wow. That means you and I probably should pay attention to what that says. Because Jesus just said, this is everything. God first. Loving people. And loving self. Those three elements are everything you ever need to live. And you got it. Church, you got it right there. That's it. All the other stuff that goes alongside of it, you know, we'll get that sorted out in heaven. This is what you have to live. This is our faith. This is where it's based in. So Jesus tells us, God above all else, he told us that in the very beginning. I must be first in your life, period. Just God. My life is about him and reflecting a glory to him. Your life is about him and reflecting glory to him. First and foremost, above all things. Then he tells us the people around you, you must love them. Democrats and Republicans, gotta love them. You gotta love them. He says, love your enemies. Now, let's just step back for a second, and this helps us with this, and so that we can understand the teaching that God's saying to us. Do you remember that he told us to love God first, right? So God demonstrates his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only. See, what God did is demonstrated love by giving to people who didn't deserve it, earn it, or even want it. 
But he loved us and he loves them. Therefore, God says, love me first and love them the same way. We can't even love the people in the same church as us. I mean, that's tragic. It's all across our land. And we wonder why God's not blessing the church. Jesus said, this is everything. Love me first and foremost. Love me, then love others and love yourself. Uh Uh-oh, we got a real problem here. See, because one of the things that sin does to us is condemns us. And people struggle with their own identity and and self-worth and value more than anything else in life. It's a plague because it's born in sin. One of the issues that we have as Christians is we can't accept God's love for us. We're still looking for everyone else's love and acceptance of us. And because everyone is living to try and let others accept them, approve of them, we're screwed up. We are, and we perpetuate our issues because we're still trying to make people accept us, love us, and approve of us. And there's no way you can do that with everybody. And so we continuously defeat ourselves because we don't love ourselves. We don't even like who we are. We don't like how we are. We don't like the way we look. We don't like the way people view us. And so we're so self, I want you to hear me right, so so self-absorbed that there's no way I can love other people because I don't love myself. And so I begin to see people the way I see myself. And what do I see is their brokenness. I see how screwed up they are. I see what's wrong with them. And he began to see people through that lens of brokenness and condemn them. And some of us even trying to find value in ourselves by seeing their brokenness is worse than mine. Listen to that mess, right? This is happening all around the world. No wonder we're so jacked up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That love thing is so confusing for us. We think it's sex. We think it's emotion. We think it's a feeling. Can I just tell you it's none of that? It's not. Sex is a result of being in love and, ha- and being with someone. It is. It's a result of, but it's not love in and of itself. Love is not an emotion. God's not an emotion. He is a God. He is a being. Therefore, love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling that I have. It's, it, calm down. It frustrates me. I'll just say it that way. So many people's marriages have been wrecked. I don't, I don't think I love you anymore. What? What? What are you talking about? I don't know if I ever did. I don't feel anything. I don't care how you feel. What does that have to do with anything? Love is a commitment. Love is action towards another. If you don't think you love someone, it's because you stopped loving them. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave selflessly with an invitation into relationship. Isn't that awesome? That's love. Loving someone with selflessness with an invitation to a relationship. See, that marriage can't fail. That can't fail. It won't fail. It will not fail. They fail because we begin to believe the world's interpretation of love and not God's. Friendships break because we believe the world's interpretation You didn't do this for me, so therefore, screw you. What does that have to do with love? Jesus said the true test of your Christianity is that you love your enemies. You pray for those that spitefully use you. You bless them. Bless them. You know how many people have left churches because they're offended? I don't even want to tell you because it's ridiculous. You didn't shake my hand. You didn't look at me right. They didn't smile at me. The pastor never said anything to me, and I've been there for three weeks. It's like, good Lord, get a life. 
<laughs> no, I mean, no, I mean, I'll, I'll retract that and say, get love. All right, my life, get love. Love is grace, right? Love is mercy. Love is kind. Remember that thirteenth chapter, First Corinthians. It's all that. All right, man, I got way off on that one. Let's get back where we belong. So you have to love yourself. Accepting who you are in Christ is the absolute key to loving yourself and others. Do you know that Jesus loves you in spite of how you look in the mirror? You know He loves you no matter how much you weigh? He loves you no matter what color your hair is, or even if you have it. He loves you. He loves you so much He died for you. What in the world right do you have to say, I'm not good enough? God said you were good enough that he would give his life for us. I, I seriously want to give you a challenge to go look in a full-length mirror today and say, man, you're all that. <laughs> Everybody, don't look into a full-length mirror or window and say, oh God, I'm all that. This isn't about arrogance. This is about God's love. See, it's an acceptance. God accepts us. He doesn't say, do this, this, and this, and then I'll love you. He said, I love you so much that I'll accept you as you are, and then I'll work on you. Have you ever met someone that, and I mean this very respectfully, but it doesn't sound like it, that's not very attractive, but once you get to know them, they become very attractive. You know, because of that, amazing love they have within them. It's like they completely change. And the opposite is true. You can see someone and think, wow, man, they are so good looking. And you get to know them and it's like, you know, you're not all that. (laughs) So there's something more to it. Right? There's something more to it. God's challenging us, church, to love like he does. That's way beyond the surface. Acts 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, to prayer. I'm jumping down to verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. So there's this movement that says, you know, well, we're not supposed to all be meeting in one. I mean, the biblical God had the tabernacle. He had the temple. Come on, people, gather. Good grief, man. Why are we in the church so dumb? We're supposed to assemble as the body of Christ. Man, they shared everything in common. They sold their property possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared the meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Pretty awesome stuff here, church. This is the functioning New Testament church that knew nothing except following Jesus. They were teaching the new believers how Jesus lived and how he asked us to live, and they were doing it, and God was moving. So let's not get crazy now. It's, they didn't sell their house and give it to the church, the money. That's what cults do, you know. Hey, you're supposed to sell it and give it to us. It's like, why would you have it? If you're dying and leaving with me, why do you need it, right? Come on. This is what they did. They sold extra properties. And if you continue reading God's word, it is explained in Acts 5 that people had extra properties, extra houses. They were wealthy people, sold some of those extra properties, gave that money to the church so that they could meet the needs of people. That's what they did. Ananias and Sapphira did it wrong and died. So do it right. All right. All right, so let's, let's continue on because I don't want to get lost on that. They met together in one place. The, the, the gathering together as the body of Christ to learn about God, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is what he's telling us. Assemble together. You need each other. Prior to COVID, I'm going to tell you that I, I believe this for a long time, that the church saw gathering together for worship as an elective. If it fit in my schedule, I'll be there. But if it didn't, or if I have other things to do, you know, I'll catch it later. The gathering together is not an option. It's not like just something you do when it's convenient. The gathering of the body of Christ is expected by God first and foremost. This is not a plea to say everybody come out of your COVID hiding. That's not it at all. So don't 
Don't misinterpret me. However, the heartbeat of the church in the United States was, we'll be there when we can. And so, as we do surveys across our nation, those that do those things, and there's a lot of them that do in the Christian community as well, began to ask Christian people questions about their faith and how they live for God and things. And what they had to do is they had to reduce the, uh, the amount of times people went to church to if you gather two times a month at church, we consider you a consistent Christian going to church. Seriously, I'm not joking. That became the normal. You know, you got to have a, plan, a platform, a foundation to look at your stats on. And that is the norm in our nation for talking to Christian people that are committed to God. And I'm like, what? How is that? Where's that coming from? I'll tell you where it's coming from. It's not coming from love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's for sure. Because we're telling God, I love you with part of my heart, part of my soul, part of my strength, and part of my calendar. But it's not just being in church on Sunday. Don't forget that. We come together as the body because God's invited us to assemble because we need to know what he says to us to know one another, to build relationships. Remember the fellowship part? To begin to live life together as believers. Discipling people, teaching them what it means. Man, the church screwed this up. They met in homes. They shared meals together. They had generosity, it says right in the Word, right? They met the basic needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ in the community. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that's what that means. Okay. What were the results? And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See who was doing the work? God was doing the work because they were living in obedience. God added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's amazing when you do stuff God's way how things work God's way. Isn't it? Just a thought. Living in obedience to God's word equals a changed life. Equals other lives changed. Equals more people worshiping God in obedience. That's how a move of God happens. The church for several decades in the United States, and unfortunately we influenced the world, began to emphasize Sunday morning worship as the thing. The thing. People would dress a certain way and make sure they went to church on Sunday. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, that some of this was good, but it's also taught some bad stuff. We wore church clothes. Nothing wrong with dressing up. But see, we didn't come as we were. We presented ourselves a different way at church than the way we actually live. And so we began to ingrain, disciple the church people to make sure you show up in Sunday looking like God's people acting like God's people, talking like God's people. And so we did. We began to look like God's people, talk like God's people, and dress like God's people at church. Then we'd be, go home and be ourselves. There's a problem. <laughs> I'm not saying we should bring self, screwed up self, and make that the church. What God's saying is, I want you to assemble because I want to make you my people so that when you go home, you're my people. And, and we, we really screwed that up because we brought people into a hypocritical relationship with God and people. When the, when the church lost that focus, we lost the idea of discipleship. All we did to disciple people was tell people, you can't dress like that, you shouldn't act like that, you should do this, you can't do that. Uh, when you show up on Sundays, you go into this group and this is what you need to be like. Instead of living life together in homes and in small groups and being together in life, like the Word of God tells us, to, to learn what it means to live as a Christian, to talk about God's Word, to talk about the message. I don't mean just like the pastor's message today. You should all go to lunch today and that should be the topic. That's not what I'm saying. But man, you know, it, you know how fast the topic changes when we get out of church? 
You know how fast it changes? We're talking about everything else in the world when God's trying to transform us and he's speaking to us for a reason, his reason, his purpose. It ought to have something to do with our conversations. So it is our attempt and our conscious effort to recapture God's plan for his church, to develop community of believers living in biblical truth in obedience to what God says. So every week you hear me, I make this statement that we're not a perfect church, we're not a perfect people. We're here because we know we need God's help and he's provided help through Jesus Christ our Lord. We said that for years because through prayer, through God's invitation, it's saying like, come on in. We're not here to judge everybody and say, huh, you're not a believer because I see how screwed up you are. We're here because we have recognized how screwed up we are and we need him and he's working on us. And so if God's working on us and we're at different levels, we shouldn't all look, talk, and act the same. That is not a blanket for you to screw up. All right? Stop looking for loopholes. It's simply the fact that we're not judging people by their appearance or what they're doing in the moment. We recognize God is working on people. That's the whole purpose of that statement. But let's go a little further then. You saw these symbols last week we put on there was our logo, uh, the Christian Faith Fellowship Cross, Radiate, Reach, and Restore is underneath it. That is that we are called by God to radiate the love of Christ, reach the lost and the saved, and restore them into fully mature followers of Christ. That's the purpose. Sorry to just ramble that through, but I'm trying to get ahead of myself. All right. So the idea of this is to remind us that God's asked us to live a different way for a different purpose, and it's not about me. It's about Him and them. Who I am and Him is all about them. So it's not a commercial for CFF, by the way. This is a commercial for God's Word and that we need to embrace it. So leadership of your church right here for a year and a half prayed, talked, and looked at the verses to come up with these uh, little statements so that we would incorporate God's Word into our everyday life and our mission or purpose as a church so that we would live this way. We want to function as God intended us to function as the body of Christ. See, we do not see the assembling of the body together for worship as an elective. We do not see the life of the believer to be whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, kindly I say this, lovingly I say this, I'm not here to affirm your life choices. I'm here as God's man of God to speak his word so that you understand your life needs to measure up to his word, not the other way around. And if you're living in disobedience to his word, that's on you. And you will pay. Line up, church, to his word. Amen? I'll move on. We do not see government or culture as one who sets the standards for the church. They don't set our standards. God does. He supersedes all of it. The church is bowed to government and culture, culture and government. We're trying to make everybody feel comfortable in their decisions. You're supposed to be uncomfortable if your decisions are ungodly. That's called conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin and unrighteousness so that we can change and be Christ-like. Okay? What we do see is clearly taught in God's word that he says that we are called to live in full obedience to him and that he should be first in our life. We're to become Christ-like in our lives. Anything less is worthless. It's God's word, you know. In Ephesians 4, these are my last verses. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work, build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue. Listen to this part. Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. See? We're here to build each other up, to encourage one another, to help each other grow into Christ-likeness. It's the purpose. So that we can function as the church, the body of Christ. That's outside of these walls, right? Okay. It's 
clarity in God's word. It's right there for us. Church, we've got to embrace this and live it. So let's do our action steps. First, I want to know if you're saved, if you're born again. Are you a Christian? If you are, have you been baptized in the faith? If you haven't, we're doing that next week. Are you applying God's word in your life, your home, your conversations, your work conversations, your vacation times? Is God's word part of your daily life? It should be more than five minutes, that, you know, accountability question that I give you. That was just like, I want to help us take baby steps into being with God. And so as God speaks to us, see, it should be part of our life. As you read those five minutes, something in those five minutes that you spent in God's word should spur you into conversation with self, with God, and with others. There should be things you're talking about with people. You know, you can share faith with people at your work without ever saying the name Jesus or God or any of that stuff. All you got to do is say how your life has changed and what God did for you without using the words they don't want you to say at work, school, or anywhere else. You know? Anyway, what in and around your home reminds you of the life of obedience that you are called to live with God? What... When you go home today, you should do that inventory. Like, start wherever you begin to enter your living space. Look around you. What there reminds you that you are God's and that he's called you into a life of obedience. As you walk in the door, just pause for a second. Seriously, when you go home today, please do this. Just stop right in the threshold of your home. Look around you. Is there anything there that says, God is speaking to me. God is speaking to others. He's called us into a life of obedience. Just go through your home. What do you see? What message are we giving off to others and ourselves about who we are and who we belong to? Father, we love you. I'm so grateful for your word. Thank you for the challenge that you bring to us. Thank you, God, that you are calling all of us to a life of full obedience to you. Lord, you know exactly where we are in our walk with you where we need to change, where you're calling us to change, where you're affirming us. And so, God, I pray right now, especially for those that are struggling with their own self-worth, that they would see how valuable they are to you. (laughs) God, heal us of our brokenness. Only you can do that. Help us to love others the way you love us. Be the church you died to make us we pray in jesus name amen this altar is always open for you please spend some time with god when you go home take those steps of action god bless you have an amazing day with him